Hello, this podcast is part of our latest tax podcast series. I'm Matt Green, an Associate Director in Osborne Clark's Tax Disputes team, and I'm joined today by Ian Hyde, who leads the team. Today, we're going to be looking at the role of double tax treaties in tax disputes in the UK. Now, just to set some background, uh, the UK has uh, obviously a very extensive uh, network of international double taxation treaties. And as their name suggests, uh, these treaties exist to prevent double taxation. So a typical example uh, is a company getting taxed in both the uh, country where it is resident and in a different country, perhaps where it trades. The country where it is resident may want to tax it on all its profits, but the country where it's trading may also feel entitled to some tax which leads to the question, how do you stop the profits getting taxed twice? Now, obviously, it's all a bit more complicated than that. For example, how much profit arises in each country and how do you calculate it? Also, when looking at tax in two different jurisdictions, uh, you're comparing different legal jurisdictions with different rules and different legal principles. Inevitably, disputes are going to arise, therefore, and that's really what we want to explore today. Uh, Ian, uh, perhaps you could give an overview of how double tax treaties are relevant to uh, disputes with HMRC here in the UK. Yes, I think there are three main ways in which double tax treaties come up in disputes with HMRC. First, where you have a taxpayer who wants to rely on a particular treaty that the UK has with another country in order to reduce their tax bill. But HMRC disagree on whether or indeed how it applies. And an example of that is really the Anson case, which went all the way to the Supreme Court a few years ago. There you had a UK resident individual, a non-DOM, remitting income to the UK from a US LLC, that's a limited liability company, which had been treated in the US as a partnership for tax purposes. Now he took the view that since the income had already been taxed in the US, he didn't have to pay tax in the UK. And indeed, um, as with all double tax treaties, he could claim double tax relief under the US-UK treaty to stop that happening. HMRC said no, because they said it wasn't his income that had been taxed, but that of the American LLC. Essentially, the LLC was a separate legal entity to Mr. Anson. Now, ultimately, the taxpayer succeeded because the tribunal, and eventually the Supreme Court too, took the view that under the relevant US law, the profits of the LLC belonged to its members as they arose. It wasn't a case where, as would be the case with a typical limited company in the UK, the profits first belonged to the LLC and then had to be distributed to members. So in that case, Mr. Anson was able to rely on the treaty to support his claim to reduce his UK tax bill. I see. And, and the second way? Well, yeah, second, it's, it's where you have HMRC relying on UK domestic legislation, or at least their interpretation of it. And the taxpayer argues that such an approach is contrary to the double tax treaty between the UK and another country. So you'd be arguing either that the treaty takes priority or that the domestic provision needs to be interpreted consistently with the UK obligations under the treaty. And again, taking an example, this is the sort of thing that happened in the Irish Bank Resolution Corporation case against HMRC. So an Irish bank had a UK branch. 
HMRC wanted to use the domestic UK legislation, which enabled it to restate the profits of the branch to the level they would have been in had the branch had more equity than it actually did have, and hence lower borrowing costs. In other words, HMRC hypothesized that an arm's length enterprise dealing with the Irish business, effectively the branch, would have had more equity, less debt, and so less interest deductions. Now, the bank challenged HMRC in this and argued that the UK law and HMRC's approach was inconsistent with the UK-Ireland double tax treaty, which they argued required the calculation of arm's length profits to be based on the actual ratio of debt and equity rather than some assumed one. Now, the bank ultimately lost, not because the treaty couldn't in principle override domestic provisions, but because the courts decided that the treaty did not ultimately prohibit HMRC's approach. The treaty wording on calculating branch profits was not as specific as the UK rules, but the UK approach was a legitimate one meeting uh, the requirements of the treaty. Now, I'm, I'm simplifying greatly here, but the point really for this purpose is that whilst the taxpayer lost in that case, it does show that UK tax provisions have got to comply with its double treaties, double tax treaties, and so has HMRC's approach. Mm. And it's interesting you mentioned the, the IBRC case there, um, as that involved quite a bit of discussion uh, about how you should interpret uh, double tax treaties. Uh, yeah, and, and and frankly, to be honest, the, the principles of interpreting tax treaties, the Vienna Convention and all of that is a podcast um, in its own right. Uh, but But what I would say now, though, is that HMRC's interpretation of a particular treaty provision is not what's relevant, at least as far as the courts and the tribunals are concerned. A treaty is a bilateral, bilateral agreement, so it's the intention of both countries that matters. And as we always say on any tax dispute, HMRC's view is useful for working out whether or not you're heading for a disagreement with them, but it doesn't necessarily tell us what the correct legal position really is. And what about the OECD commentaries on the on the model tax treaty then? Now they are they are important because the treaty provision you're looking at is likely to be based on the OECD model treaty. So you should definitely consider the commentary if there's any ambiguity either in the treaty or in the UK provisions. And and do you think we could see more differences of opinion with HMRC as a result of the the various uh, base erosion and, and and profit shifting? Uh, the BEPS measures introduced uh, in recent years? Yeah, I think so. The, the, the whole BEPS initiative has obviously started at long last to drag the double tax treaties into the modern digital age. So there is always going to be some extra uncertainty that comes with any change. And of course, the pace of change is only going to get quicker. Now you have the multilateral instrument, which makes it much easier to incorporate changes across a whole host of double tax treaties at the same time. Uh, now, going back to the start, I think you mentioned uh, three uh, obvious ways in which double tax treaties might be relevant to a tax dispute. Uh, what was the third uh, that you had in mind? Well, I talked just now about HMRC having its own um, interpretation opinions about the treaty, but of course, the other country's tax authorities probably also got its own view, and it won't necessarily be the same. So 
one of the big problems we find with double tax treaties is the perhaps natural tendency for each tax authority to want to tax to tax the same income or profits and so on and the taxpayer is essentially caught in the middle so just to take a simple example if a uk company is charged let's say 100 pounds for supplies by a sister company overseas hmrc might say the sister company overcharged the uk company and that an arm's length price would have been say 80 pounds so the UK company should only have an £80 tax deduction, which therefore increases its taxable profits. But if the overseas tax authority says it thinks that £100 was arm's length price, or, or even worse, perhaps they think it should have been 120 well, what, what happens then? You know, as a taxpayer, you're getting hit from both sides. And that's where things like the mutual agreement procedure, or MAP, as it's normally called, comes in. Most UK treaties have a MAP provision. The MAP will usually enable the taxpayer to ask the competent authority, in practical terms, a designated team within HMRC, to consider the issue which has led to that double taxation and discuss it with the tax authority of the other country. Now, it's a bit more complicated than that, and there are time limits and also the interaction with any domestic tax litigation. The point being, of course, here that um, this may be part uh, of an assessment of the UK company's profits for the year, which we're talking about. But all of that needs to be considered. But the, in that context, MAP is a very important tool where a taxpayer is essentially being squeezed on both sides with both authorities pursuing uh, you for tax. And ideally, at the end of the process, which can take a bit of time, both authorities would reach an agreement over who gets to tax what and you won't end up with any double taxation. You mentioned uh, domestic tax uh, litigation there. Presumably there's an important decision to be made about which route you go down first and whether any litigation needs to be uh, put on hold uh, pending the MAP outcome. Yes, uh, uh, a lot depends on the relevant time limits and also on what you think the prospects of each approach will be in your particular case. I mean, litigation doesn't shut you out of the MAP process, but you may not want both processes running at the same time. Mm. And, and what about arbitration? Uh, well, it, yes, that, that depends on the countries involved. So you need to check the relevant treaty and see what, see what it says about this. But in the model convention, the, the OECD model treaty, if two tax authorities can't reach agreement, then if the taxpayer requests it, the case should enter arbitration within two years of the MAP case being presented, with the decision being binding on both authorities. If the taxpayer doesn't accept the outcome, um, they've got to rely on whatever domestic routes uh, they have. An, an area that's particularly relevant to tax disputes, of course, is the, the exchange of information between tax authorities. And presumably the treaties come into play here as well. Yes, that's right. I mean, the OECD model treaty, again, contains an exchange of information clause. And, and even with countries where the UK doesn't have a double taxation treaty, you need to check if there's a separate tax information agreement. The exchange of information doesn't just relate to information relevant to an issue of double tax. It would typically provide a general right to exchange information relevant to administration or enforcement of tax in another country. And, and we'll cover uh, international exchange of information in a bit more detail 
um, in, in a later podcast. Well, thank you, Ian. Uh, that's all we've got time for now. Uh, that's been really interesting. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.